Hey, before we jump into the podcast, just want to give a quick reminder, if you're new here to the Holistic Nootropics podcast, to please just take a quick second and subscribe to the podcast. It takes literally a second to do. Just hit the subscribe button right there in your podcast player. Also, if you want to help us out, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Now, if you're more of a visual person, you like to actually watch the podcast, you can actually do that over on the Holistic Nootropics YouTube page. Just go to youtube.com, search Holistic Nootropics, You'll see our page pop up. Subscribe to that. Hit the little bell icon so you can get notified every single time new videos drop because we don't just do podcasts over there. We do product reviews. We do all kinds of nootropic and biohacking and holistic health topical videos. So go on over, check us out on the Holistic Nootropics YouTube page. And for all things nootropics, nutrition, and biohacking related, go on over to holisticnootropics.com. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we discuss using nootropics, nutrition, and biohacking to help you hack the power of your brain. My name is Eric. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. And today on the podcast, I have John Fox. John is a Los Angeles-based health and physique coach who helps people simultaneously build muscle and get leaner while also living a healthier lifestyle. He has certifications from Precision Nutrition and the NSCA. John is the owner of johnfox.com and managing editor at The Unwinder. John, welcome to the Holistic Nootropics podcast. Oh, it's good to, good to be on. Yeah, man, this is great. I'm glad uh, we finally were able to connect and get you on the podcast. Uh, I'm really interested in what you do over at The Unwinder. Um, I'm really interested in your background as a, you know, uh, as a fitness and physique coach. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you got into fitness. What is your, what's your background with fitness and, and what your specialty is as a trainer? Yeah. Um, you mean how I got into fitness personally or professionally? You know, oh, I'll start with the personal thing. Sounds good to me. It's yeah. more interesting. Yeah. Uh, back when I was in college, I tried to join this martial arts group on campus and, um, and they had tryouts, like they didn't let just anyone in. And in the tryouts, I just got so winded, they ended up turning me away because they thought I was going to have a heart attack or something. And that was like a wake up call because I looked like I was in decent shape. Um, but I wasn't, I had terrible cardiovascular fitness. I had no endurance. And that was the point when I realized I needed to start exercising and, uh, you know, diversify my diet beyond just ramen and beer. Um, so that's when I started kind of dieting, hitting the gym a bit, um, and, and went back the next year and got into that group, which they said no one had ever done. No one had ever come back and tried again after being turned away. It just not a lot of people try again, I guess. Um, so that's how I got into fitness on a personal level. And, um, and it's not like overnight I got really, really into fitness. It's my interest kind of gradually grew, which is typical. People people start out with very modest goals and then they move the goalposts as time goes on. Uh, on a personal level, how I got into doing it for work was I had a job that I didn't like as a uh, business development director for an ad agency. And so I started a, just a fitness blog on the side. And after about six months of that, people started asking me to coach them. Um, so I kind of just fell into that. And that's unusual because most people become personal trainers first and work in a gym. And then they start doing their own personal training. 
um, independently, and then they go online. And I did it the opposite order. I started out online, trained people online. And, it, you know, a few years ago, I got my certification and started training people in person for a while, which I've since stopped doing because it just, I don't like having to drive everywhere. And I, it, it's just a more effective use of my time to work online. So I, I did online first and then in person. That's interesting. People found you, found your blog, and then they started asking you to train. Like, what do you think it was about, or, or at least the feedback that you got about like what you were writing about that people felt more comfortable hiring, you know, a guy writing a blog versus like going to their local gym and, and getting a trainer? Yeah. You know, the thing is when you go to your local gym and you get a trainer, you don't have a lot of differentiation between the trainers. You just say, I want a trainer and you assume they know their stuff. You know, they have a certification because they have to, uh, to work there. And it turns out that the, the customers don't usually care about certifications. I've literally never been asked by a prospective customer, which certifications I have. Uh, I needed to get the personal training certification to work at a gym even, even as an independent trainer, they just require it. And uh, I got the, the nutrition certification from Precision Nutrition just for my own edification. It wasn't required for anything. Um, only other coaches care. Clients never do. They never ask. Um, but if you show off your expertise through a blog, you can differentiate yourself first by conveying some personality. And second, I mean, in my case, it is that I reference scientific studies. Like I actually go to PubMed, I reference the study as opposed to popular science articles about studies, which most people just don't do. And it's to a lot of readers, it's really eye-opening because they're like, oh, most people don't do that. And it never occurred to me that they should, they should actually reference like research and not just kind of personal experience or popular articles, or in many cases, nothing. People often just make assertions and don't even say where it's they're coming from. Um, and then, so the thing is, if you're particularly, if you're new and you haven't already made a name for yourself, um, this is a great way to show that, you know, what you're talking about is to just provide the evidence for it. Um, and sometimes the studies say things that are counter to what most people believe, like, um, for instance, studies say that branched chain amino acids, a very popular supplement are just, useless. They're, they're not useful. They don't do much on their own. Um, not, not that, I mean, they're important, but you need them with other amino acids, you know, like doubling down on three out of the 20 something amino acids isn't helpful. Um, you know, you can cite studies that say it turns out stretching is a bit overrated. I'm not going to say never do it. I stretch, but, uh, flexibility doesn't work the way people think that it does. Stretching before workouts is generally, makes you weaker and does not low, uh, lower your risk of injury. And so if you can tell people two or three things like that, that they would just never have thought, and you can show them the studies, that goes a long way towards establishing your expertise and also differentiating yourself. Um, and it's really good, I also find, to tell people, you know, there's this tendency to want to answer the questions that people are asking. The problem is that once someone can formulate a question, they can type it into Google and get the answer from 20 different people. So what I try to do is give people information that they had never even thought to ask about, because when you can do that, they know they would never have gotten it from anyone but you. 
Yeah. Especially when it comes to fitness, it's like, you know, like the stretching thing is a good example. You know, everyone's like, people ask, well, what stretches should I do? You know, I'm going to go in for a leg day. What's a good leg stretch. But what you should really be conveying to somebody is you go, look, it's not about what stretches are you doing? It's about why are you doing the stretches in the first place? Yeah. And are they really helping you? And are you tracking your progress with stretching? Have you ever tried to not stretch or do a different kind of warm up? Um, mm -hmm. Which is an interesting topic all into itself, like warming up. I've heard um, actually recently some people talking about warming up and, uh, and the, the psychology behind it, it's actually very outdated, you know, the way mm -hmm. we think about warming up, um, you know, get your heart rate up to a certain level and then you're ready to go. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, people tend to burn themselves out fat. What, like, what do you think about that, that whole thing of stretching and warming up? Um, so, I mean, it, the research is not very positive on stretching pre-workout. Um, there, there's really no research to suggest it makes you stronger or reduces injury risk. Uh, some very light dynamic stretching can be helpful for flexibility without reducing strength as long as you keep it light. But the reason to do it is mainly if you need that flexibility to perform an exercise. For instance, if you're doing squats, you might need to stretch your, your shoulders to be able to just pull them back and hold the bar properly. Um, the other thing, some, some of what people think of as flexibility issues are really a strength or a stability issue. Like to, back to the squats example, people think they need flexibility to go deeper on a squat. Well, if you don't have a barbell, you, can, you have no problem going deep. The reason you have going deep with the barbell is because you become less stable near the bottom, which is really because it's heavy and you're not strong enough. to. It's a strength issue. Um, and then the other thing, while you were asking about warm-ups, I think the main purpose of a warm-up is to get the blood flowing warm the muscles up a little bit because they are a little bit looser when they're warmed up. There's more blood flow, more oxygen to them. So I think there is room for a few minutes of light calisthenics. There's also a psychological element to warm ups that I think is very underrated, which is just, it gets you psychologically motivated, pumped up to do the workout. Now, whether this needs to come from a warm up as opposed to just the first few sets is debatable. Um, but given how much of it is psychological, I think there's a lot to be said for just like listening to heavy metal or rap or whatever. Um, and the same goes for caffeine. People don't know this caffeine. A lot of its effects are purely psychological and they work by the same method as listening to loud, aggressive music. Um, so I think a lot of people overdo the pre-workout. They'd be better off cutting back on it, listening to some loud music and just pumping their fist a bit. Um, but you can, the other thing about warm up is some of it should be exercise specific. So I do believe it's good for every exercise you're doing, do one set of like 70 or 80% of your working weight. See if you have a joint issue that day that's going to affect that exercise. And that's your warm up for that exercise. Um, most of the stretching I do at the end of the workout. Um, Interesting. What, what do you think of, um, what, what, what do you think of pre-workout? Uh, like, supplements, meals, food. Personally, I don't like, I just started getting into creatine, um, yeah. pre-workout creatine and uh, beta alanine. 
Um, mm-hmm. I've avoided this stuff for a while because I, I took it when I was a kid, didn't have a great experience because it was like, I was getting sick a lot and I would put on yeah. like 15 pounds, you know, of, I guess like water muscle mm-hmm. and then I would get mm-hmm. sick and then I would lose it all. So I just stopped messing with creatine, but I just started so taking it again. Pounds is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. I was, I was gaining a lot. Maybe it wasn't, it was like somewhere between 10 and 15. It was, it, it was an extraordinary yeah. amount for me. Um, and I was lifting heavier. I was also younger. I didn't have a good diet, you know, supplements were just like a multivitamin yeah. from Costco, you know? Um, but ever since then, I've just kind of really not dug like pre-workout. I don't like that feeling of like having food or anything in me and then going hard and then, getting nauseous, you know, I'm more of like a post-workout, but I'm starting to kind of try to experiment with the pre-workout thing. Like, you know, especially because I've heard so much about creatine being, you know, good for nootropic purposes as well. So, yeah. Um, so there are like four different things to separate here. Pre-workout food, you should have some protein pre-workout, not right before the workout, like in the two hours before, um, I would say about, uh, 0.2 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Um, so for me, I think that's about 30. I'm about 170 something. Um, again, you don't need to be full. You just need a little bit of protein to, to fuel muscle protein synthesis. Most of the calories around the workout can and probably should be after rather than before. Um, but you just, you don't want to be running on empty because your body does not have any way to store amino acids other than in the muscles themselves. Like that is the amino acid storage. So you, you do want to have that protein to fuel it. Now, pre-workout caffeine, I'm really not a big fan of unless it's a small amount of caffeine for a morning workout. The reasons for this are first caffeine is addictive. You do build up a tolerance to it. And second, it impairs your sleep a lot more easily than people think. I mean, there are studies that show even the equivalent of a double espresso first thing in the morning reduces slow wave sleep later that night, 16 hours later. Um, Like it takes a much smaller amount of caffeine much earlier in the day to mess up your sleep than people think. So I am really an advocate for for low caffeine. I don't always practice what I preach there. I do have a lifetime issue with over-consuming stimulants, but I don't consume caffeinated pre-workouts anymore. I am become more of a tea and diet Coke kind of guy. Mm. Now, beta alanine, I'm a fan of, it is good. It's more of an endurance supplement for like kind of running cardio, but it's not bad for weights either. I mean, it, it is good. It is legit. And then creatine is frankly, it's one of the best supplements there is. I mean, it's pure benefit. Um, it, the nootropic benefits you were mentioning, I think for the most part, they are kind of prevention of, Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative diseases. I don't know how much it does like as a nootropic to make an already functioning brain better. I don't know that it does that. I think it's more of a lifelong health thing for your brain. Um, As far as building muscle though, creatine study after study says it works. What it does is it, it temporarily increases the amount of cytoplasm around your muscle, which is kind of the water component of the muscle. Generally, that's the major component of a muscle. And while that is temporary, it turns into permanent gains because it increases your strength endurance, which allows you to do more volume of training. And really, volume of training is the main driver of muscle growth. I mean, almost every training method that works, works because it lets you do more volume of training without more fatigue. Um, 
So there, there aren't really any hacks around the need to train for more volume. There are hacks that let you improve the training volume to fatigue ratio. It's how basically everything works. So I absolutely recommend creatine. Um, generally, that's a dosed around five grams twice a day. Um, it could be 10 grams once a day. Sometimes people have just intestinal problems with it. The other thing I want to say about creatine is caffeine can impair the absorption of creatine. So you actually, a lot of pre-workout supplements have both of them. You actually don't want to take them together. And creatine seems to absorb better post-workout, especially if you take it with some sugar that's going to produce an insulin response. So optimally, I would take the caffeine if you're taking any low-dose pre-workout and the creatine post-workout with whatever your post-workout meal is going to be, but definitely separate the two. That's interesting because I've heard I've heard this like um, this debate between creatine post and pre-workout. Yeah, um, yeah I'll probably start experimenting that uh, with that a little bit to see. Yeah, uh, you know the 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 gain differential. You know yeah. because like I said, I don't mind working out personally mm -hmm. with nothing in me, you know, I've, I've worked yeah. out on a seven day fast. Um, but I don't recommend that by the way. Uh, but, um, you know, it's the post-workout it's, it's how can I get the most bang for my buck, you know, um, with this substance. I think that's like my, mm -hmm. I think that's, that should be everybody's goal with any, um, supplement you take, you mm -hmm. know, as far as, as far as other supplements that are good for, um, you know, for just like overall fitness, like if you're hitting the gym three, four times a week, like, um, not, not, uh, anything that per se is good for pre or post-workout, but just good mm -hmm. maintenance supplements to take, like, you know, throughout your day, what, like, what would you say those would be? Uh, vitamin D and fish oil, both definitely Vitamin D, just no one gets enough of it. I mean, there are studies that show outdoor athletes like surfers, outdoor runners are even often vitamin D deficient. Um, so I recommend everyone take around 5,000 units of vitamin D3 a day. Um, and again, they've done studies of uh, people living traditional hunter-gatherer lifestyles that find that gives you about the equivalent of the vitamin D concentrations that they have. Um, and vitamin D, of course, status has been linked to a lot of positive health outcomes, lower rate of viral infections, uh, lower rate of depression, lower rate of kind of muscle and bone loss as you get older, just all kinds of good stuff. Um, and then fish oil, of course, I think everyone knows why it's the omega-3s to balance your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. In theory, you may not need that if you eat a lot of seafood and grass-fed beef and all that good stuff. Very few people have that healthy of a diet that they won't benefit from fish oil. And then I also think zinc and magnesium are good for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people, men especially, are mildly zinc deficient and would benefit from low-dose zinc, which will in increase testosterone. And you can test this, by the way. There is a kind of a liquid zinc tester supplement. I forget what exactly it is. Zinc sulfate, zinc some, some kind of zinc salt. Yeah, basically, um, you know what I'm talking about. Zinc deficiency, among other things, reduce it, it, it impairs your sense of taste. So if you drink this and it tastes like water, you're zinc deficient. Yep. If you drink it and it tastes like just nasty hydrogen peroxide, you're okay. Then you've got enough zinc. Yeah. Um, I can't remember exactly what the chemical in it is, but it's, it's a great way to easily test your zinc status. 
And then magnesium is great. A lot of people are deficient in it. There are studies that show magnesium has a lot of beneficial effects on sleep and mood. The kicker with magnesium is the cheapest and most common forms of it are just basically laxatives, uh, magnesium citrate and magnesium oxide, which is mostly what you're going to find in multivitamins. So you need to go for the more expensive forms like magnesium glycinate or magnesium threonate. I think glycinate is probably the best general purpose magnesium. Magnesium threonate targets the brain better, so it's better for sleep. But it is, um, A, it's expensive because it's still patented by, I forget the name of the company, uh, but it was invented in the last 10 years or so. And it tends to be low dose because it's a very heavy salt, meaning most of the weight is the threonate rather than the magnesium. So it's, it's generally not very high dose. And there are some good supplements that mix the two, magnesium glycinate and threonate, which are worth taking too. Um, but magnesium is great to take in the evening because it will help you sleep if you're taking the right form. Yeah, I love, I mean, that's the thing about um, really this kind of whole nootropics space that I'm in, mm -hmm. which is you hear about all these amazing, you know, nootropics and it's mm -hmm. like, Hey, this thing for, you know, for focus, mm -hmm. this thing for memory, but nobody ever talks about magnesium. And it's like yeah. any stack you take any supplement regimen. And I've seen some ones that are just, I mean, bonkers, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm seeing people with, uh, it's gotta be like a couple thousand dollars worth of supplements a month. And you don't see magnesium in there. And what people yeah. don't realize is like magnesium is the glue that holds this whole thing together. Yeah. And I always, you always got to wonder about those crazy supplement stacks. Like, how do you know what works? Did you systematically test all of those one by one on yourself? Uh, no, they're just kind of, you, you got to test things on yourself to see what works and what helps you because that for pretty much everything, there is a kind of golden mean. You can have either too much or too little of any given chemical. And that's one reason why the thing, some supplements or drugs are just miracles for some people and counterproductive for others. So you can go off studies to tell you what's worth trying you still have to find what works for you at what dose at what time. Yeah. It's like I say, it's like you could look at every single, you could walk into a GNC and you could look at every single supplement and you could go, you could list a yeah. convincing benefit for every single thing. Yeah. And then you could say, you could find a reason to buy every single thing in the GNC. Yeah. But why would you do that when you don't even know if it works for you? And then if you start taking, like you said, all this stuff at once, Mm -hmm. You don't know what is giving, like, if you have a benefit, like if you're like, oh, okay, I was able to sleep longer or, mm -hmm. you know, I don't feel anxious or I'm, I have more energy. You don't know which one of those things is doing it. And it yeah. could be one and you out of a stack of like 10 supplements, one might be the only one actually working. Yeah. And that, by the way, is another reason. You also need to have some way of tracking the effects of this. It's, I think it's good to have first off a fitness tracker preferably, I mean, one that is pretty good at measuring sleep, heart rate variability, stuff like that. And I also, I've started using an app called Dailyo, which mm -hmm. is just kind of a daily logging app. Uh, you just, you, every day you log what you did that day, what kind of food you ate, what kind of activities you did. Did you lift weights? What kind, you know, I have like seven or eight different kinds of work that I can say I did a few different types of social events. I can say I did different kinds of chores and then you just rate every day on a scale from one to five, how good of a day was it? So a fairly simple scoring system, but over time it lets you 
find correlations between what you did, what supplements you took that day, and how good of a day you had. And you can define for yourself, are you rating the one through five based on your mood, your productivity, whatever. But, um, you know, it's a convenient way to find these correlations. Because um, if you just go off of feel, your memory is not that perfect, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the funny thing is we convince ourselves that are that we are, you know, we convince yeah. ourselves that we go, oh, I know like what's good for me. And then somehow mm-hmm. you end up with this afternoon depression or like, you know, needing yeah. to take a nap at 9am or um, this unexplained anxiety or, 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 what, or memory loss. And, and, but you're convinced and Dalio, that's an interesting app. I'm, I got to check that out. Um, yeah. You know, what I do when I work with people is I have them do a journal. It's a food and mood mm-hmm. journal. And it's, um, you know, it's, it might be a little outdated, like in the sense that it's, mm-hmm. it, you have to write stuff down. Maybe like an app yeah. would be much easier, but regardless, you know, there's a powerful component of mm-hmm. tracking and then spotting. So like yeah. when you actually track the food that you eat, the supplements you take, the beverages that you drink, the activities you do, mm-hmm. and then you put in the other column, you say, well, this is how I felt. Like if at between one and four o'clock in the afternoon, you start feeling really sleepy. Mm-hmm. And then you look in the morning and go, well, my breakfast was like toast and orange juice or like a pop tart, or I didn't have breakfast or at lunch, mm-hmm. I ate like a bologna sandwich and some potato chips. And then it's every, within two hours of eating that food every day without fail, you have some kind of mood disruption. Um, mm-hmm. You start to put those things together and no matter what supplements you take, what diet you do, what exercise you do. If you cannot Mm. successfully track what you're doing in your day and correlate it to how you feel, you're never going to get to the root of your problem. Yeah. And I, once upon a time, I created a spreadsheet for tracking that, um, tracking everything you eat, everything you do versus your mood, energy level, productivity. Um, it was a great thing for, I've switched to Dalio because it's easier and it does the correlations for you. But the nice thing about the spreadsheet was it separated out different goals, energy, mood, productivity, and such. Um, and it, it's good, by the way, Dalio doesn't record what time of day different things happen. So it doesn't have that level of granularity. So you still do kind of have to remember that. Um, but the nice thing is if you're eating a crappy meal and then crashing two hours later, it should not be hard to connect the dots on your own if it's happening that quickly. Um, and I think for a lot of people, the afternoon crash is really a combination of food and caffeine. Mm-hmm. It's the caffeine fat crash and the sugar crash. Mm-hmm. And they really need to be eating slower absorbing f- breakfast, higher protein breakfast in particular. Most people that I work with, I find they are initially not eating enough protein with breakfast. And that's very important for getting a stable energy level throughout the day for regulating your appetite. Um, obviously for building muscle. But that's a big pattern I see is people not eating a, a big enough breakfast, b enough protein with breakfast, and then kind of overeating later in the day and wild blood sugar swings. Yeah. The, the, the protein at breakfast, I mean, you know, it's a game changer when you figure that out, like Mm. you'll work with people and I would imagine, you know, as a nutritionist and a, and a trainer, like sometimes it could be as easy as literally just changing somebody's breakfast. You know, you could say, Hey, 
I'm not going to put you on. And I don't know if you, if you subscribe to any special diets, I yeah. personally don't like to stick with any one diet for anybody. Yeah. If somebody wants to do keto, do keto. If you want to do vegan, do vegan. But man, if you lock down the first couple hours of your day mm. and you get that figured out, it, it's like the rest of the day just works so much better. Yeah. I, I almost always start people on optimizing that first couple hours of the day. I say, Hey, here are three breakfast meals that are healthy every day. You're going to have one of these three things or, and maybe option number three or option number four is like a protein bar. So no excuses that you're too busy eat a protein bar, but just always, always have a morning routine, have a healthy breakfast. And then, and that's relatively easy to do, which also means that if people don't do it, I can learn very early on, like, all right, I need to kick this person's ass. I need to call them out. Like, dude, it doesn't get easier than this. Like you yeah. need to put in the work. Yeah. Um, and that's frankly, one of the biggest mistakes I made as a personal trainer early on was being just too timid about calling out clients who were just not putting in the work. It, there does have to come a point where you say, look, you said you were going to do what I told you. This is the easy, we're starting with the easiest thing, fixing your breakfast, way easier than eating healthy at every single meal, way easier than working out in the gym for an hour, five days a week. If you can't do this, what's going on? You know, there does, I, and I never like to start out with that. You always like to start out assuming that people are going to do great because there is um, a labeling effect that people tend to live up or down to expectations. So as a trainer, I've learned to always start out just kind of taking for granted that they're going to do everything that I tell them to do because that often becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But when it doesn't, yeah, you have to call people out. And so some of that, some of what I have people start doing is just kind of a test of their commitment. Of so their you like form so, new habits. Sure. So, so you, yeah. So I think, I, 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 I think that's, that's a powerful thing, you know, because mm. it's not that you want to overpower people with like, I'm mm -hmm. the expert and you're the dummy, but mm -hmm. at the same time they're paying you. And you have mm -hmm. to, you, you, you almost have to shake them up a little bit. You know, you have to call, they don't want to be called out, but if yeah. you can pinpoint their, like their weakness, like, you yeah. know, Hey, you understand, you know, every time you don't do the thing I'm recommending you to do, mm -hmm. you keep ending up here and you know, you're paying me because you don't want to keep ending up here. Yeah. So, you know, I'm saying all you have to do is have three hard boiled eggs in the morning, you know? stop eating, uh, you know, frosted flakes and have three hard boiled eggs in the morning. You can hard boil them the night before it literally takes five minutes to do have them in your fridge, pop them, mm. go to work. Right. So you, yeah. you lose the excuse of, oh, I don't have time to eat protein. You have plenty of time to eat protein. You don't like yeah. eggs. Okay. Well, there's so many other things that, you know, you could eat. If you don't yeah. want to do the work, then why did you hire me in the first place? Yeah. And if, frankly, it's not even that much about my expertise because most of the things that people find difficult are not the things that are surprising. Like the, my expertise comes in when I'm like, well, you need to do agonist antagonist supersets. You need to order your exercise, your work, your exercises this way. That's the expertise. And that's people, people, no one goes, Oh, regular sets are easy, but agonist antagonist supersets are hard. It's the things they have difficulty with are the things they already know they need to do. So it's not about information. It's about commitment. Um, it's like, they know they need to work out. They know they need to eat less sugar. Um, so it's very rarely my, my expertise very rarely 
uh, comes into play in the same areas as them having trouble, you know, following the program. That is really about just needing the motivation and the accountability and really the commitment. Um, and, and the thing people need to remember is there's never going to be the perfect time. Um, a lot of times people are just like, well, I'm really busy now. Maybe I'll come back to this when I'm not busy. Like, dude, you're always going to be busy. Like if you're not busy, when, what the hell are you doing with your life? Like you're, would you, would you actually want to not be busy? Would you want to not have stuff going on in your job? Would you want to not have hobbies? Like, um, you know, a lot of life is just, is being busy and finding ways to make stuff work, even though you're busy. So what do you think about things like, um, like fasting? You know, fasting can be a useful tool for appetite control. There's, I, I used to be a bigger proponent of it. What I've learned now is there's no real magic to it other than you eat less. Um, there's no, I mean, I used to be big on the whole autophagy thing and it turns out, yeah, fasting promotes autophagy, but so does just eating fewer calories and not fasting. So I personally, I fast because I've just, I've gotten used to it. I don't usually get hungry first thing in the morning. So every, it's like most days I do a 14 to 16 hour fast just cause that's how long it takes for me to get hungry. Um, I've done multi-day fasts in the past. Nowadays, I don't usually do more than a 24 hour fast once a month. Um, and that, that kind of moderate fasting is very useful because it is just enough to prevent creeping weight gain. Um, I mean, it's enough to cut out, assuming you don't make up for it, which is sometimes hard to do anyway, you'd really have to overeat to make up for a day plus fast. It's enough to cut a few thousand calories a month out, which is enough to prevent the creeping weight gain of like three pounds a year that most people get. Um, and it's, and if you are someone who's not prone to creeping weight gain, but who's already into fitness, it's good from a calorie cycling standpoint. That's your low calorie, you know, your low calorie time of day, your low calorie day for the month. And then you can time more of your calories around that post-workout window. So it's useful, but at the same time, more is not better. I mean, there are also studies that show you will build muscle better if you have like a decent amount of protein every four to six hours. So there's a trade-off there. Um, so I don't go out of my way to fast more than is comfortable other than that once a month or so 24 hour fast. And I think at some point I probably will do another multi-day fast just for the heck of it. I don't know that it's that helpful, but it's great as an exercise in discipline. Um, that's actually the main reason I would do it is because it makes it makes any other kind of deprivation seem easier by comparison. So there is a benefit, a psychological benefit in terms of anchoring. Um, and I feel that about a lot of things actually, uh, working hard, working out hard, there's a benefit to occasionally overdoing it just to make everything else seem easier by comparison. And that often outweighs the more tangible physical benefits of like doing something really extreme. I agree. I, you know, I like to, I like to kick my own ass from time to time, usually a little bit more, more than, uh, I probably should, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, they, I, I heard, a some, some corny YouTuber say, uh, you know, consistency it's all, you know, consistency, actually, you know, people say they don't have time to be consistent mm -hmm. with things, but it's actually the consistency is what 
sets you free and gives you more freedom and you actually find more time when you're consistent. So if you can build that discipline with things like, you know, like I'm the same way, I don't, I, I, I've done long fasts before, but I, I don't see the value in them so much anymore. Maybe for somebody who's like, got a lot of chronic issues, but for, you know, if you got your nutrition and your health locked down, you're not getting mm. sick, you're not fatigued. Yeah. I think 14 to 16 hours is, is fine. You know, especially mm. if you're not eating first thing in the morning and, and shooting yeah. off your, you know, your blood sugar regulation too early. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with eating first thing in the morning. If it's high protein and healthy and not super sure. high on car- in carbs, I just, it's not when I get hungry, you know? And, and there's, again, it's, it's nice to time your calories around working out. And it's also, it's hard to fast in the opposite direction where you eat first thing in the morning and stop eating like, like in the afternoon, because then you have to go to bed hungry. Like if, if you're going to do the daily fast at all, better morning than evening. Um, and there's also research that shows, you know, carbs before bed um, or not right before bed, but within a couple of hours evening, of going to sleep yeah. in the evening is actually beneficial. You know, your brain starts, you, your brain needs yeah. glucose to, to build melatonin. It makes, serot- it makes serotonin, which makes melatonin. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're taking a melatonin supplement that maybe makes that irrelevant, maybe not actually probably still not because you still want the serotonin, even if it's not turning into melatonin. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I generally tell people protein heavy, low carb for breakfast, even if your overall diet isn't low carb and put more of your carbs later in the day, partly yeah. for that reason, partly for that's usually when it's the post-workout window to fuel the muscles. Um, and it's not specifically that you need carbs to fuel your muscles, but you need calories, which generally means carbs. Cause that's just kind of um, if you add or subtract calories from a diet, it tends to be mostly carbs just because fat and protein tend to be a little less flexible. Like you, you can't cut your protein below a certain level. You do need a certain amount of essential fats. So carbs kind of tend to be the, the macronutrient that can go up or down the most as you change your calorie intake. What's a good carbohydrate uh, post-workout or even later in the day? Whichever ones you like. Um, I mean, people say fast absorbing ones, um, high glycemic, low glycemic. I actually don't think the glycemic index matters very much. Um, the reason I say that is because it's the research on glycemic index about how some carbs absorb way faster than others. It's based on people eating one particular food first thing in the morning on an otherwise empty stomach. And that's not how you normally eat. You normally eat mixed meals, uh, different foods together. And other than first thing in the morning, it's not on a totally empty stomach. And what studies have found is when you eat a mixed meal that has protein, fat, and carbs, it is low glycemic regardless of the individual components of the meal. And it's not what you would think. It's not a weighted average of the glycemic index of all the components of the meal. It is lower glycemic index than almost any of the individual components of the meal. So in practice, most meals are low glycemic unless you're eating something extremely like like a pizza or a donut, extremely starchy. But if it's at all a balanced meal, it's going to absorb relatively slowly. Um, and you don't actually need super fast absorbing sugars post-workout. Like there's not, there's this idea that you really have to race to refuel your muscles within like 
two hours after a workout. Um, the, the post-workout window in which your muscles are um, primed to take up more energy is a lot longer than that, generally around a day. Um, if you're a novice trainee, longer than a day. But if you're an intermediate to advanced, it's a day to maybe two days. Um, so the only situation where you really need to like have a bunch of sugar post-workout to refuel your muscles as fast as possible is if you're going to do more physical activity later that day. So if you have like, if you're going to the gym and then a few hours later, you got like a jujitsu class or something, then yes, you need to rapidly refuel. Otherwise just eat a healthy meal or a meal you enjoy that has a balance of protein, fat, and carbs. Um, I don't, I don't think that there's like a specific type of carb you need to have post-workout. Um, the only thing I would say is not heavy on high fructose corn syrup, Sure, you know, because there is, um, fructose does tend to preferentially go to the liver versus the muscles. Um, now, now I say preferentially people, some people have this idea that the muscles can't absorb fructose at all and it can only go to the liver. And that's, not true. It, the, the liver has a higher affinity for it. It's not the case that fructose can't go to the muscles at all. And so people sometimes use that misconception to say fruit will make you fat, which it won't, but high fructose corn syrup in large quantities can sure. because it can bypass the muscles will have trouble absorbing it and excess can go to fat, you know, but, bar, but barring that high levels of corn syrup, I, I don't think you need to be too concerned with types of carbohydrates just from a carb quality standpoint or an absorption speed standpoint. Now it matters what other nutrients they have, like beans have more fiber, you know, uh, potatoes versus sweet potatoes have different minerals. Vegetables of course are lower in carbs, but have a bunch of vitamins. Fruit has a bunch of vitamins and a bit more carbs. So sure have healthy carbs, but, um, I don't think anyone needs to do this bodybuilder thing of being hyper-specific about what carbs they have at what time. I think people should really focus on food group swaps. Like, should I be having, um, I, I should trade my bread for fruit, you know, or I should trade my cheese for lean meat. Worry about food groups. I, I don't think it's worth that much effort to think about beef versus pork or potatoes versus rice. Um, that is really losing the forest for the trees in my mind. And that's such an interesting uh, component that you added, which is the glycemic index mm -hmm. not being accurate because of the way they've actually yeah. measured these foods. You know, yeah. um, I, uh, I know this girl who was talking about uh, she has a, I don't know if she's diabetic or she has a specific blood sugar condition. It might be pre uh, like type one diabetic, I think. Um, so she was, you know, it's like a, it's like a autoimmune thing mm -hmm. and she takes her blood sugar after she eats. And she was, she, you know, she wrote a whole spreadsheet mm -hmm. with her reactions to specific foods. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy to see the foods that actually triggered higher glycemic responses for her mm -hmm. than the foods that didn't, because it was all the foods like, she had a higher glycemic response to sweet potatoes over white potatoes. And when mm. you go grab like a glycemic index chart, you see the white potato is much yeah. higher than the sweet potato. And everyone tells you avoid white potatoes because they're full of all this, you know, all this glucose and stuff, all this starch and sticks to the sweet potatoes. Yeah. But it's like, 
I think the only thing that this really applies to, like you said, is high fructose corn syrup. So like, you know, yeah. Coca-Cola sugars, white bread, um, even like, you know, even like, uh, like whole wheat bread or whole wheat, like mm -hmm. overly processed bread. But really yeah. after that, I think it's very individual to how you react to different carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, frankly, this focus on what you eat can overshadow the more important question of how much you eat. <laughs> it could yeah. just be the sweet potato was bigger than the regular potato. I know. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are other things like liquid liquids are going to absorb faster than solids. So I would, I do mostly avoid juice. Yeah. Um, or I mostly tell people to avoid juice. I personally will have it once in a while. Like I don't keep it in my home, but if I'm at like a hotel, they have juice at breakfast, fine. I'll have it. Um, but I'm lean enough to get away with that. I wouldn't, someone who's trying to lose fat, I'd say don't drink juice. Um, another thing most people don't know, hot foods will have a higher glycemic index than cool foods. Mm, it yep. just digests faster if it's hot. So a lot of things you don't think matter, throw this off. Yeah. Um, and in practice, no one's going to be like, all right, I'm not going to have hot foods because of the glycemic index. Like it's just, that's not, I don't think that information is going to get used in people's decision-making very much. And it's about timing too. You know, we always yeah. forget like the importance of timing. Like where's your days, you know, where's your cortisol at, right? Like mm -hmm. how much of a cortisol response are you going to trigger? How fast is this stuff going to get metabolized? You know, is it going to sit in your blood for a while? Is it going to go to your muscles, going to go to your fat? Like, you know, yeah. what is your, and it changes from day to day, right? Like depending on your sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you, uh, like I use this lumen device and you, you breathe in it and it tells you like, here's your, here's how much fat versus how much car carbohydrates you're taking. And does it based off your, um, your, the, the CO2, yeah, not, yeah. not ketones, but uh, CO2 carbon dioxide mm -hmm. in your breath. Um, how accurate is it? I don't know. I feel like it's pretty, it's, it's like, I can register it based on how I feel and go, okay, I feel a little brain foggy today. I must be burning more carbs. Last night I had like mm. ice cream. I had, you know, uh, a high carbohydrate meal. So mm. I'm clearly burning more, but sometimes it's weird where it's like, like I'll eat a bunch of fruit the day before and then it'll, it'll rate me real low. So, um, but that yeah. might be an interesting thing too, you know, but, um, yeah, well, it's like I, I think things like that can change on an hourly as opposed absolutely. to daily basis. So I think people underestimate how quickly it swings. Yeah. Um, and for women, it's even crazier because of the hormones, right? Because it's mm -hmm. like, what, like, where are you at in your cycle? How much uh, luteinizing yeah. hormone do you have? You know, how much progesterone do you have? Yeah. Like this all plays into it. You know, for guys, it's like a testosterone thing. Are you estrogen dominant? Um, mm -hmm. You know, do you have a, what's your minerals? Like, it's just so much more complex. And this is why I get so frustrated with, um, you know, everything from keto to paleo to whatever. It's like, let's, let's stop the demonizing of carbohydrates. Let's focus more yeah. on like the stuff that actually matters. Let's, let's focus more on what, what else is in the food? What's the crap that's in the food? What's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what's the timing of the food and then what's your fitness mm -hmm. level? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot, people get into kind of the details because they're interesting. Um, you need to master the fundamentals first, which is kind of eat your fruits and vegetables and lean meats eat your high protein breakfast, hit the gym a few days a week, sleep well. Um, so I think a lot of people want to get to the advanced stuff before they've done the groundwork of doing all the novice level stuff. Um, and all I can say is you got to do the novice level stuff. You know, I mean, it's like anything else in life. If you want to get good at 
you know, at, at basketball, you're going to do just hours of mind numbing layup drills. It's just, the beginner stuff is often boring, but it is the baseline you have to work on to get good at anything. Yeah, I agree. Well, this has been great, John. I really appreciate uh, taking some time here to chat about uh, this real interesting topic of fitness and nutrition and supplementation. Uh, you know, I, actually, I, there's a few things I've learned here that I'm going to take with me, um, you know, in my next couple workouts. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I'm sure whoever's listening or watching probably will have a few takeaways as well. Uh, let's mm -hmm. say somebody's watching or listening and they go, this John guy, he's something else. I want to work with this dude. Uh, where do they go? Where do they find your stuff? How can they contact you? Oh man. Well, to work with me, I guess you'd go to my website. That's johnfox.com. J-O-H-N-F-A-W-K-E-S. As far as reading my writing, I haven't been very active posting there. Most of my writing these days is on The Unwinder where I'm the managing editor. Um, and most of the articles are written by other people, but edited and kind of planned by me. Like I assign them out. Um, so that's the unwinder, the dash unwinder.com. Um, and that, let me just double check. It is.com, right? I always, yeah, I believe it is. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I, oh, all right. <laughs> the dash unwinder.com. Um, so that's where, uh, I publish a lot of stuff on supplements and nootropics in particular, um, stuff about modafinil, kava, magnesium, kratom, uh, you name it but a lot of stuff about supplements and nootropics um, and a little bit of other stuff about kind of more general health and fitness topics. But the focus lately has been on uh, supplements. Um, so a very good resource for that kind of information um, and, a, and a better place these days to see my writing really. Um, we, we've got some interesting anti-aging stuff coming up too about kind of senolytics, um, you know, telomeres, um, very interesting, very interesting, very new subject area. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to link to all that so that, uh, whoever checks out the show notes can certainly yeah. find you and hit you up if they have any questions. So, um, yeah, that's good stuff. I'm really excited to, uh, to get this pop, uh, podcast out to people. I know people are going to love it. Um, and thank you again for joining me, John. This has been a great time. Great chat. Really good getting to know you here. Well, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And for more, you can check out holisticnootropics.com where we'll have the show notes to this podcast along with our entire library of podcasts that we've put out before. Thanks so much for watching and listening. I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com.